Right, well, I think you all know the story of the Damascus Road, that there's Saul, who hating Christians, just breathing out hatred and uh, killing them, murdering them, etc. And he goes to Damascus to uh, arrest Christians. And then the Lord Jesus appears to him in uh, blinding light, and he's blinded for three days, and then he is led into Damascus, and a Christian called Ananias uh, baptizes him, and he suddenly becomes a totally committed Christian, and is going around preaching, baptizing, and he's going to be, um, he's about to be killed in Damascus, but they let him down in a basket uh, out of a window. So, that's the basic story. And the point is that as we look at that story, this is us. That is the point. Now, we may think, oh, that was Paul. He was someone special. Well, he was someone special. But so are you and me, someone special. And three times in the book of Acts, three times you've got the account of his conversion. So... Three times you read about it, not just in Acts 9, but in Acts 22, Acts 26. Three times this is brought before us. And you ask yourself, why do we read about the Damascus Road conversion three times? Well, Paul says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. For this cause I obtain mercy, that in me as the chief sinner might Jesus Christ show all his patience as a pattern to those that would later believe in him. So Paul's conversion is a pattern to all of us. And he alludes to it so many times. Since God said, let light shine in the darkness, he shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So what he's saying is that in the same way as the light shone to me, so it does to you. He talks about the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ that has dawned in our hearts. We each, with unveiled face, behold the glory of the Lord Jesus. So, he is a, a pattern for us. And we may think, well, yeah, he was there going around persecuting Christians, killing people, torturing Christians. And then he changes 180 degrees, but it wasn't so dramatic with me. For example, in my case, I grew up with Christian parents who believed what they, what they lived and lived what they believed. And, well, yes, I also became a believer. But, you know, I, I was not a murderer, I was not a persecutor of Christians, I was not some, you know, I served 20 years in jail for mass murdering, you know, hundreds of people, you know. Um, so it, is it so dramatic in my life, your life? You know, we weren't the Apostle Paul. But the point is that his conversion is our pattern. And this is what's hard to get. That me, you, in our little obscure ways, the change is just as radical, 180 degrees. And so we want to uh, explore all that uh, a little bit more. So I'm going to um, try and get the PowerPoint going. I want to read the uh, read the story. So Saul, breathing out threats and slaughter, like he's a, a wild animal. He's breathing out threats and death 
against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked from him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any that were of the way, whether men or women, he would have them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, it came to pass about noon that he drew near to Damascus, and suddenly there shone round about him a light out of heaven above the brightness of the sun. And he fell upon the earth and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you persecute. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he is obsessed with hatred against Christians, and as he reveals more about what went on in his later letters and in his uh, court cases that he has towards the end of his life, he admits more and more. He starts off by saying, well, I persecuted Christians, and then he says, I murdered Christians, and then towards the end of his life he says, and I tortured Christians unto death. So as I said before, over time, Paul admits his sinfulness more and more, but as you read his letters, if you put them chronologically, he becomes more and more persuaded that he is going to be saved. So you draw a graph of it with time along the bottom, and sort of his faith up the side, his conviction of his own sinfulness is going up, and also his conviction of the fact that he will be saved. So this is part of spiritual growth, to be more and more convicted of your sinfulness, and yet also more and more convicted of the fact that I will be saved. And that is what elicits genuine humility in a person, that I am sure that I will be saved, but I recognise I should not be. So, he gets letters to allow him to go to the synagogues of Damascus to find there in the synagogues the Christians. So you see that the early Christians carried on meeting in the synagogue. The Lord Jesus said, the time will come when they will cast you out of the synagogues. But at this time they were still in the synagogues. Christianity was, if you like, a sort of a, a, a sect of Judaism. The Christians kept on going to the synagogues. And I mention that because one of the irritating things about a lot of Christian folks is that they become very intolerant. Oh, if you believe that, well, I'm not going to your church. Oh, who thinks that? Oh, I'm not going there. Now, I don't want to mix with people who believe exactly what I believe, because I might pick up some sort of guilt by association from them. And that's not how the Lord Jesus thought. The Christians carried on in the synagogues until the synagogue chucked them out. They were still in the synagogue system. So he goes there to find any of the way, that is the Christians, whether men or women, and to bring them bound to Jerusalem. That was his intention. But later on, many years later, he says, I go, when he was a Christian, I go bound in the spirit up to Jerusalem. So do you see what happened? He was trying to bring people bound to Jerusalem, to death. And that is what happened to him later on. He was taken bound in the spirit to Jerusalem and in the end to Rome and to death. So you wonder why. Is it just measure for measure? Is it just crime and punishment? What goes around comes around. Well, I think it's more than that. I think the idea is that what he intended to do to people, to bring Christians bound to Jerusalem to death, actually happened to him. 
what he intended to do to other people happened to him. And that was for his learning. And that is what happens in our minds. That we also find through our experiences God gives us the impact of our actions upon other people. Because he wants to teach us. It, it, it goes on in all sorts of ways. Primitive example, bloke's married to his wife and he goes off and has an affair and she's the pious stay-at-home girl. Oh, and years later she goes off and has an affair. You could say, well, that's measure for measure. Yes, it is. But you see, why did God let that happen, the bigger picture? So that they both come to understand each other. And it's not just what goes around comes around. In our lives, nothing is random. Everything has a purpose. And it's so important. What he intended to do to these people was done to him. Not that God was punishing him, I would say, but so that he might learn, so that he might understand. Because he's going to spend eternity with these people who he had taken bound to Jerusalem. I wanted to take bound to Jerusalem. So, about noon, that's midday, when you don't normally travel in the Middle East, but he's so crazy to get on with the job of persecuting these people, he's at noon, still travelling, <coughs> We read in chapter 8 about the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip at noon also they meet up and the Ethiopian is baptised. I just mentioned that because it shows that lives go in parallel. The Ethiopian eunuch at noon in the desert met with Philip and then Philip baptises him and it's the same with this conversion. At noon in the desert, around Damascus' desert, he has this meeting with the Lord Jesus. And that is the basis of Christian fellowship, that what goes on in your life actually goes on in my life. But it's not until we sit and get to know each other that we realise that. We just come to church and talk about the state of the nation and how terrible the weather is and all this kind of thing. You, you won't get that. But it is incredible. We all tend to think, no one would know what I went through. No one. You wouldn't know. You wouldn't be able to understand it. But actually by talking to each other, you do find that actually man is not so alone. That your experiences, my experiences, are not so totally unique. Because the same Lord is working in parallel in human life. So, there shone round about him this light from heaven above the brightness of the sun. And we've seen that he later on says, but God has shone his light into your heart. And he's alluding to what happened to him. So this is not a special case. The same radical transformation that happened to him is to happen to each of us. That the sort of standard normal person stuck in the mire of mediocrity here in South London can have a 180 degree shift. Just as radical as what happened to Paul. So he falls to the earth, and he hears a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now this is the voice of Jesus, right? Why do you persecute me? Well, he was persecuting by Christians, the body of Christ. And so, what you do to the body of Christ is what you do to Jesus. Jesus is saying to him, ouch, you're persecuting me. 
He's not out there to put a finger on you, Jesus. You're out there. So, when you baptize, you're baptized into the body of Jesus. And that means that God looks at you as if you are Jesus. And what anyone does to you, they do to Jesus. And we all tend to complain that we suffer from injustice, we suffer from this, that, the other. Yeah, but do you know that Jesus feels that? The fact that he is not immediately responsive doesn't mean he doesn't feel that. God says in Zechariah, whoever touches my people touches the apple of my eye. It's the most sensitive point on your body, your very eyeball. Someone touches you, they are touching the apple of God's eye. And you know, if you move a finger towards your eye, you're naturally going to blink and try to defend your your iris, aren't you? Just instinctive. And that is how it is with God. This hypersensitivity to your me. And there we are living in this world thinking nobody understands me, nobody cares. Whatever happens to me, nobody really cares, actually. Maybe that's so. Maybe nobody does care. But, somebody does. Anyone touching you touches the apple of his eye. And then Saul says, who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? He knows it's Jesus, he calls him Lord. And every time in Acts you read about the Lord, it's the Lord Jesus. Who are you, Lord? You know, Saul. And I think what that shows is that in his conscience, he knew, he knew all along that he was wrong. And that's why the Lord says to him, well, I'm Jesus, as you know, whom you persecuted, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, the allusion is to an oxen, an ox that is ploughing, and there's the goad. And if he goes that way, well, he's going to rupture himself, going to hurt himself, he's going to go into the, 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 point, the point of the, of the goad. So by keeping on going against conscience, he was just hitting the, 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 the uh, spike. And Jesus is saying, why do you, why do you keep doing this? Stop kicking back against the, the spike. It, just go the way I want you to go. And the world is full of unhappy people. And one reason is because the Lord Jesus is in their life and wants them to go in a straight path with him. But they don't want it. And so they turn <coughs> away. Oh no, I want to do drugs. Oh no, I want to be addicted to this. I want to be addicted. I want to do this, I want to do that. Prick, prick, prick. Oh, my life is so painful. My life is such a mess. The idea is to go the straight, straight way, the straight and narrow, and total surrender. That's the idea, total surrender. I will go your way, as David says, I will run in the way of your commandments. <coughs> Set before me a straight path, and I will go in that straight path. Yeah, my point is that he, he knew all along. That's why he says, who are you, Lord? He knew this was Jesus. This is what Jesus is saying. You know all along. And so in every human heart, there is a gap that only Jesus will fill. We look at the world and it seems that our people have zero interest in God, Jesus. And that is on the surface. But actually underneath, they all have a conscience. When I was a young guy of about probably 17, because I was still at school through my A-levels, 
I used to go door knocking trying to sell double glazing. And I put my suit on that I wore going to the church and I did my best to go and sell double glazing. I mean, if you get double glazing, you can reduce your costs and your you know, heating bills and that sort of And people <coughs> smiled when they saw the young guy trying to, you know, whatever. And uh, they were people liked me. I didn't get any sales before I realised double glazing was uh, not a thing for me. And, um, but my point is, people were very nice to me. Oh, no one was rude to me. And rather pitying of me. But, no one was nasty. On Saturday mornings, I put the same suit on. I went out knocking on the doors, preaching the gospel. Oh, that was a different story. I'm going to set my dog on you unless you get off my doorstep. Who do you think you are? No, 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 no. As soon as you mention Jesus, oh, 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 man. Very different story. Still double glazing. No problem. Mention Jesus. Why are people like that? If you don't want Jesus, just say, look, mate, sorry, no. Like the double glazing. No, I don't want double glazing, mate. Yeah. Bless you, mate, but no. Why? The difference in reaction. In the same streets, the same kid wearing the same suit. It's simply because people know in their heart that Jesus is the truth. They know that subconsciously. Like Saul here. Who are you, Lord? <laughs> you know. You know Saul. Some of these people say, oh, I don't believe all that God stuff. Oh, I'm not into that. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, that's a facade. People are more interested than you think. And yet, here we are trying to do evangelism, trying to persuade men and women of Jesus Christ. As Paul says, God is not far from every single one of us. People are not that far. And you can get them. Really, you can. Um, but it's difficult. Uh, because of pride. And it's the same with us. We, we don't want to just totally surrender. And the great thing about Paul was that he did just totally surrender. But you can see what a bad conscience he had. He was kicking against the, uh, the spikes, the, the, the prods. And yet he knows that Jesus is Lord. Who are you, Lord? He knew full well. So he was living in a bad conscience. And that loops back to verse 1. He's breathing out threats and slaughter against the disciples of Jesus. If you ask the question, why did he hate Christianity so much? Why did he hate the Christians? Because of his own bad conscience. He was angry actually with himself, but he was transferring that anger onto the disciples of Jesus, and effectively onto Jesus. When he surrendered and said, right, hands up, hands up, total surrender, he goes the other way. No anger with, uh, with, with Jesus, I just want to humbly serve him. So that is how this 180 degree change happened in him that his bad conscience led to his anger. Now we've all seen that, there you are, I don't know, you might be buying something in a supermarket, you're waiting in line, and the cashier suddenly flares up at you, or something in the line suddenly flares up at you, and you're calm down, lady, you know. Why, why she suddenly start yelling at me over like, what I never did? Because she's just had a row with her ex, or with her mum, or with her kid, or something. 
So let's just go and take that anger out on anyone. And before me, I'm standing there, so I'm happy to get it. All this sort of stuff is totally changed in Jesus Christ. The total surrender. The, the anger that comes from bad conscience, the obsession, the addiction, is healthy. If you surrender, but of course this is what people don't want to do. If you start telling people, look, yeah, just admit your sinfulness. Oh, that's all old time, old school. Don't give me all that stuff about I'm a sinner. Well, I'm afraid that is part of the Christian message. We are desperate sinners. And we just have to admit that and surrender totally. And if you make that total surrender, total surrender, in baptism and going forward, just total hands up surrender, you won't have this anger, this breathing out bitterness, this transferring of your frustration and anger away from yourself onto somebody else, onto your family, onto this group or that group of people you don't like. It all goes. Well, as Jesus said, um, you're persecuting me. But he was so kind and patient with him, wasn't he? Later on, Paul writes to the Romans, bless those who persecute you. Well, I know he was inspired to write that, but he got there by his own experience. I was blessed by grace when I was persecuting Jesus. Guys, he blessed those who persecute you. All the time he's reflecting his own experience. So he's told, why is enter into the city of Damascus? You should be told what you must do. The men that journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. So this is very personal. Nobody else can enter into this. Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. And they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight and did neither eat nor drink. Well, you think three days. What does that trigger in my mind? Three days, that's how long the Lord Jesus was dead. And not eating and drinking, not singing, black. No wonder he then gets baptised. Because he has been brought to identify with Jesus in his death. Three days dead, didn't see anything, didn't eat or drink. It's like the Ethiopian eunuch in chapter 8 that he reads Isaiah 53 in his chariot. Oh yeah, there was somebody else who was a eunuch and didn't have children, um, who was despised and chucked out of organized religion. Who is this man? It's Jesus. Oh wow, I want to be baptized in him. I want to identify with him. And it's the same principle you see here with Saul. That he's brought to identify with Jesus. And sure, now I want to uh, be baptized into him. Well, there was a disciple of Damascus called Ananias, which means the grace of God. And the Lord sent him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, I'm here, Lord. And that's what we've got to be. Yes, straight away. Here I am. You know, you can pray that every day. Lord, give me something to do. That's what I do. I ask God every day, give me something to do for you. And I'm here. I'm here, Lord. Well, that's something to take away. If you take nothing else away, ask the Lord every day. The Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street which is called Straight. Why add that detail? Well, because he'd been kicking against the, 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 the spikes. 
He was an ox who kept trying to go off the straight and narrow and hurting himself. So now he's told, go and stay in a place on the straight street. And inquire, God tells Ananias, in the house of Judas, from one named Saul, a man of Tarsus, where he prays. And he's seen a man called Ananias coming in and laying his hands on him that he might receive his sight. Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many of this man how much evil he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he's got authority from the chief priests to bind all the call upon your name. This is typical. Ananias is like, now wait a minute, Lord, you, you don't know. I'm the local guy on earth, you're up there in heaven. You don't actually realise, Lord, this guy is a very bad man. I know. And that is typical of us. Yes, Lord, you're there, I know, but you see, you're there, and you don't quite, you don't quite get what it's like down here. I've got some information. Tell me to go and baptise Saul. <laughs> no, but he's actually a very bad man. No, no. He said, that's typical of us. And of course, the great truth is that I'm a God near at hand. I'm not far away. He's not far off, but near at hand. Because the Lord had our nature, He knows exactly our humanity and our situation. So, the Lord said to him, Go your way, for He is a chosen vessel to me to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, etc. Paul later says in Romans 9, but we are all the chosen vessels of God. Again, he sees himself as a sort of a pattern for us, a sort of programmatic for us. So, Ananias goes to him, and you know, full marks for Ananias. It seemed crazy. And a lot of the things, you know, if you pray to the Lord every day, give me something to do, and I'm here, Lord, a lot of the things are counter-instinctive. It was totally counter-instinctive. Me go and risk my life. This guy's come here to kill me. This is a setup. But he's obedient. So he puts his hands on him, he gets his sight back and he's baptized, and he took food and was strengthened. You see, our baptism is always obedient. He didn't say, oh, you've got to study for six months and you can join the club. He baptized them straight away. And Saul, we're told, took food and was strengthened. Why does it bother saying that? Well, when he was named Saul, he was named in the uh, honour of King Saul, first king of Israel. And King Saul wasted most of his life persecuting David, who's a type of Jesus. And there he is, I'm Saul. And the night before Saul died, he goes to see this witch, and she says, you're going to die tomorrow, and that's what happened. And she said, look, eat something, you've got to fight in the battle tomorrow. And he's no, I'm not going to eat. But she persuaded him. And the very same words are used, that King Saul took food and was strengthened. So Saul is starting to see that, yeah, I'm Saul. And as I persecuted Christians, that's like Saul, my namesake, persecuting David, who was a type of Jesus. Now, unlike people like Abraham, Jacob, etc., you never read of God changing Saul's name to Paul. He never says that. Jesus doesn't come and say, hey Saul, call yourself Paul, can you? No, never. You just notice as you read Acts that when he goes out preaching, you start reading about Paul. And what does Paul mean? The little one. The little one. So he changed his own name, I think. 
He never lets his name changed. He changes it. I don't want to be Saul. I'm Paul the little one. And again, you can see the path in this man's life. This man who's been so proud becomes the little one in his own eyes. And he realizes that, yeah, I was named after Saul, but I don't want to be that. I don't want to be Paul, I'm just a little one. And that is so critical. This is what true conversion is all about. It's about coming to humility. And that's why people don't want it. Immediately in the synagogues, he proclaimed Jesus. Again, immediately. Straight away. Yes, straight away. That's what you want from your kids. It's what the Lord wants from us. Yes, straight away. In a minute, I'm coming with that. And of course, everybody's amazed. And the Jews uh, get angry and they want to kill him, verse 23. Why do they want to kill him? They wanted to kill the messenger. You know, if somebody is walking down the high street saying, um, I think God is a pink elephant who lives up on a cloud, or who lives on a chimney top on the top of uh, house number 62, you know, Surrey Street. People are thinking, like, oh really? <laughs> get out of there, check your meds. Um, you get angry. Oh, that's your religion. That's right. I, I don't believe that. You still preaching Jesus Christ. Oh, so angry. People want to kill you. And that is, I think, the evidence that really and truly that the ultimate truth is in Jesus Christ. Because people react in the way that they do. They react in the way they do, like Saul preaches, oh, let's kill him. So they watch the gates day and night to kill him. So the city of Damascus was surrounded by a wall. You could only get in and out for the gate. But his disciples took him by night and lowered him down the wall in a basket through a window. These were the very people he had come to kill. And as they were letting him down by the rope, his whole life depended on those guys. Like it's a, sorry, sorry, Paul, just kidding, right? Bang. So his whole life depended on the men whom he'd come to kill. And see how God works in this sort of way. Beautiful. The closer you look, as I've been saying in the scriptures and with that, the work of God, the closer you look, the more beautiful it becomes. And the closer you look into your own life and the work of God and other people's life, the more beautiful it becomes. Well, he's let down the wall in a basket through a window. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, you'll know that there were two other people who had that experience. One of them was King David. When Saul came to kill him, his wife let him down through a window. He escaped. You see how smart it all is. He had been Saul with Saul. But now he doesn't want to be Saul anymore. He wants to be David. Okay, God saying, okay, you want to be David? Okay, I'll give you one of David's experiences. I'll confirm you in the way you want to go. I'll let you down the wall to escape from your life. And the other people this happened to were the spies who went to Rahab in Jericho. And, uh, well, they get, um, they realise we've been followed, the city is closed with a wall, 
And I think, what on earth can we do? Let's just rush into a house. Oh, whoops, it's a whorehouse. Um, this woman's a prostitute. Um, but she says, oh, great. Uh, you know, I, I was always wanting to, to become one of the people of Israel. And uh, then she lets them down over the wall in a basket, basically, through a window. And then, ding dong, the soldiers come and say to her, uh, have you had some men in your house? Yes, I have. Who were they? And she's like, I'm a whore. I don't know who they are. You ask me? <laughs> I don't know. I'm a whore. I don't know anything about my clients. Which I always think is God. God somehow in that. But she was the only woman who could honestly say, yeah, I've had men in my house, but I don't know who they are. If it was anybody else, then the law comes and says, who are the men you've had in your house? Come on, don't say you don't know. She was the one person who could say, I'm a whore, I don't know who they are. Something great there. Just something of God. Um, anyway, my point is, why... Why, have, why are these similarities? Rahab lets the spies down through a window. Michael, David's wife, lets him down through a window. And now Paul is let down in the basket through a window. And I, you, know, you think, why? Over the centuries did these three very similar things repeat. And I think it's because... God works in our lives according to a pattern. And as I say, this is the basis of our Christian fellowship, that the more we get to know each other, the more you see that actually my experience of life, your experience of life, is not as unique as I thought it was. Believe it or not, someone else has been through. In essence, what I did. And then I was thinking, oh, nobody understands. And then you are thinking, nobody understands. God, the hand of God is there in our lives. Now, later on in uh, Corinthians, Paul remembers this incident and he says, this was the most humiliating thing that ever happened to me. Well, I thought he had a lot of humiliating things. He wondered why this particular incident was the most humiliating thing. Well, the city was a wall and a wall around it and he was let down in a basket through a window What they used to do was to throw dead bodies and excrement, <coughs> or to lower it, in a basket. That's why the, the surrounding uh, area around the walls was full of basically poo, uh, excrement, rubbish, and uh, wild dogs eating corpses. And Paul would have been presumably covered in feces, basically. And let down there where the dead bodies were, where the wild dogs were scavenging. Talk about being brought down. Absolutely. So, he escapes and he gets to Jerusalem, and of course, nobody wants to know him in the church. But Barnabas took him and said, Yeah, he's a good man and he has preached boldly. And we've got to be like Barnabas. You've got to give a bloke another chance. And that is exactly what Barnabas did. And it says here that he preached boldly in the name of Jesus. You might get the impression that Paul was just sort of full of himself and yet bold, I am fearless, I am bold. But actually he writes to the Ephesians and to the Philippians and he says, please pray for me 
that I may preach boldly as I ought to preach. Please pray for me that I may preach boldly as I ought to preach. So this is not automatic. This is not a function of his native personality. But he was bold and confident anyway, like some people are. No, he wasn't. He found it difficult. And that's why he asked other people, pray for me that I might preach boldly. So verse 29 again, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord, he spoke and disputed against the Greek-speaking Jews, and they were seeking to kill him. Just prior to this, Stephen has been killed, and the witnesses laid their jackets at the feet of Saul. He got Stephen killed, and why? Because Stephen, the same words, was disputing against the Greek-speaking Jews, and that's why they killed him. And now the same thing nearly happens to Paul. He disputes with the Greek-speaking Jews and they try to kill him. He was the one who arranged Stephen's death, and now what happened to Stephen happens to him, nearly. Again, not just measure for measure. Not God saying, well, I'm going to do you as you did other people. That's too simplistic. God is not just punishing for the sake of it. God is even into punishment. He's into education. He's into education. It's why these days the prison system is called you know, correctional institutions. And I don't know, that often doesn't work out. But that, that's right, that, that's how it should be. The idea is of correction and teaching. And that is what God does to us. That's why, as we all struggle to understand our lives, we struggle to attach meaning to events. One dimension of this is that the, the things we experience are to help us understand the result of what we did to other people. But if we think, well, I didn't do anything wrong with anybody. I'm, I'm a lovely person. I'm an awesome person. I've never done anything wrong. I've never done any sins. Well, yeah, then you won't get it. You won't get a bit of it. It's all wasted. It's all wasted. Um, but once you have that humility to accept that, then life starts to open up. And you start to see why this is happening and how that is happening itself. So, a few takeaways. Obey the voice of conscience. Don't kick against the goads. It's just going to be painful. Go the way of conscience. Conscience is so valuable. Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Whatever happens to you is felt by Jesus. The same huge change that happened to Paul can really happen to you so that your Christianity, your faith, is not a hobby. It's not a you know, random interest. But this becomes the passion of your life. All our experiences bring us to fellowship the sufferings of Jesus, like Paul, three days, can see, can eat or drink. And the bottom line really is total surrender. That is the only thing that makes life work. That makes all this operation of God actually come to fruit. So, we're going to take the, the bread and the juice in memory of the Lord Jesus, remembering that his death really is what enabled all of this. Without that, nothing of this would really be possible. And because he lives. 
Life is worth the living, as the song says. Life is worth the living because he lives. Life makes sense because he lives and because of our identification with him. So, the bread represents his body, the cup represents his blood. Let's uh, give thanks for the... Uh, the what version were you using there? The Bible? Uh, NMP. Oh, okay. No, I was only saying, because here it says, where you said, um, don't kick against the goat sissy, but rise and enter the city, and you'll be told what you are to do. Yeah, yeah. Some, some versions leave those words out. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, some yeah. versions leave them out. Yeah. But it's definitely there. Mm. But, 